Hey, Cracked fans. If you're a listener of this podcast, I imagine you feel fairly similar to how I do about the latest clothing options made available across the tennis market. Now, while I won't call out any brand in particular, I will say this. Given the exorbitant nature of the latest designs, feels like you better be pretty freaking good at tennis if you want to wear that sort of clothing on the court. Now, thankfully, we here at Crack Rackets are now able to provide a far more suitable, far more more comfortable, and I'm going to be honest, far more stylish option for all of our Crack Rackets fans, courtesy of our friends over at Lucky Racket. Lucky Racket uses some of the best fitting and feeling tees in the world. Their shirts are combed, ring-spun, heirloom cotton, and tri-blend Bella and canvas. I don't even know what that means, but that sounds spectacular. So, how can you get yourself some Lucky Racket gear? It's simple. Just go to their website, LuckyRacket.com. That's L-U-C-K-Y-R-A-C-K-E-T.com. And use our promo code CRACK15. If you do, you'll get 15% off all of your purchases. That means 15% off the shirts, 15% off all of the incredible swag offered by our friends. Again, that's LuckyRacket.com. The promo code is CRACK15. Welcome to the Mini Brick, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, December 8th. Yes, we're doing this a day late, but you guys know one of the newest series we are most proud of here at Crack Rackets is the series we launched with our friends at Tennis Point. Of course, traditionally, we call it Tennis Point Tuesdays here. It's Tennis Point Tuesdays on a Wednesday, and joining me as he always does on this podcast is our friend from Tennis Point, Nate Walrath. Nate, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today, my friend? Great, my man. And I'm, I'm happy to take a back seat to Stefan Kozlov, your, uh, <laughs> your, your, your favorite ATP tour player. Any, anytime you're able to get that interview, I'm I'll probably take a day break. Take a day break on that. I will say, I sincerely appreciate. It. I was like, "Hey, we got this big interview scheduled. We're going to release it on Tuesday. We don't want to get to it to get buried amongst the many Power Five coaches in our college tennis preview series. So we were going to think about throwing it on the mini break. Is it okay if I push you a day? And you're like, "Dude, just send me the link when the episode's done. Like that's <laughs> all I ask. As long as you promise that, I'll be willing to do it." So I was like, "Yeah." All right, sure. Might as well throw that Nate's way, but I appreciate your patience with me as always. And again, it's the holiday season right now, and that's where I want to start today's show because, of course, if you're a tennis player, if you're listening to this podcast, very likely there are people in your life, whether they're in your immediate family or just, you know, intimate members of your circle that you are close with, who you would like to get some sort of gift, whether it's Hanukkah, Diwali, Christmas, you name it. It's the giving season With that in mind, have to bring up our friends at Tennis Point, right? The best in the business for all tennis equipment, best equipment, lowest prices. With that said, for those doing some holiday shopping, Nate, what can they turn to at Tennis Point for? Give me the deals. Give me the rundown. I'm sure there are a plenty. Yeah, so appreciate that nice intro. Right now, we have the 12 days of of deals, and day eight is today. So if you guys hear this on Wednesday, day eight. Today, we have Babolat up to 50% off shoes and rackets and also a lot of great string deals. So you guys definitely hop in there and take advantage of those. 
tomorrow, day nine, Thursday, ASIC shoes up to 45% off prices as marked. And day 10 on Friday, $20 off the V7 blade. So a lot of good deals coming your guys' way. Hop on the website, tennis-point.com, as Greskin always says. And, um, yeah, you guys find your, find your loved ones, find your family, find your friends, some nice Christmas gear, Christmas equipment. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, awesome. Anything in particular? If you're going to get a tennis gift for the Walrith parents, what are you getting them? I got Mrs. Walrith uh, pickleball equipment this year. So oh, I know this is a tennis podcast, but the the mom and her friends are big pickleballers now. It's like some of her friends aren't, they're not big into tennis, but I got her and her friends a bunch of pickleball paddles. And I got my sister a pair of Adidas Ubersonic 4s, which she's a big fan of. Uh, they have like this cool leopard colorway on the back of them uh, really unique looking style so i'm a fan of pretty much ubersonic fours and barricades are one of my favorite uh, two of my, pa- my favorite pair of uh shoes right now so i got her those and uh, we'll, we'll see what else comes in the uh come, comes in handy but i'm i don't know i think the blade the blade v8 is another gift that i would like to get for my sister she's looking to change some rackets but uh what do you what do you get in the gruskin family Oh, well, every day is hanukkah in the gruskin household as told by my parents um the truth is I mean, my older brother yells at me when he says, we're not the biggest gift family. It's just because yep. – and this is – and I'm not saying that as a criticism because I know my mom will hear this podcast and be like, don't make people think I don't get you gifts. Um, <laughs> it's more just like if I was like, you know, it could be a June and I could – you know, June yeah. 12th and I could say, hey, mom, like if you don't mind, I really – uh." I could use some or I'm thinking about this or that or whatever and I'm home and she'll be like, All right, we're going to the mall. Like get in, yeah. we'll we'll get the shirts, we'll get the pants, we'll do the whatever. That's why, you know, she's like, I work this hard to do those things for you kids. Um yep. Yeah, same deal with the Padre. Um that said, the idea of getting them tennis gifts would not they are no. tennis watchers and I think they love watching their children play, and I think my mom has actually grown into a massive fan <clears throat> of the sport. I don't think my dad's watched a match since Jimmy Connors, like from start to finish. If I had, uh, that wasn't one of his kids. Um, and so. But that's cool. Mrs. Gruskin's checking into your podcast every day. That's oh, what I, that's what... and she would rock a fresh pair of Nikes because the problem is she's a runner. So I'd probably go running shoes, not tennis shoes. And so, you know, we again, athletic shoes. gear. Yep. That said, there's some good athletic gear that she could absolutely be rocking. So I'll have to give it a gander. And right now I'm on the website, tennis-point.com. And, of course, if you go there, use that promo code CR15. You get 15% off your order. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. But as I look, you know, across this, A, right off the bat, what's the first thing you can click on? 2021 Holiday Gift Guide. You know who's going to be doing some searching on that Holiday Gift Guide? He's got two thumbs, and he's speaking right now on this podcast. It's your boy, AG. As you look, I see gifts for her, gifts for him, gifts for kids, gifts for all, gifts for tournament players, gift cards. I mean... It's it's the complete package. Gifts for any price. Of course, you guys also have Tennis Points. 12 days of tennis deals. You can save up to 50% off Nike shoes and apparel. Save 25% off Thorlo socks, Yonex rackets, bag deals, K-Swiss. I see it all here. And by the way, we're recording this again Wednesday, December 8th. Still four days to go, my friend. Yes, Still four days to go. I will tell you this. Right away, I see save up to 50% on Nike shoes and apparel. I may just be dabbling after this podcast is done. Yeah. There you go. You know that guy, too. So if you need any help, let me know. But <laughs> another, another thing I wanted to shout out, we're going to be doing a giveaway for Christmas, uh, a couple hundred dollar gift cards. You guys just have to I'll, – I'll be putting the social post out there. 
and we'll go ahead and we'll tag Cracked Rackets. We'll make it another collaborative. Love um, it. We'll do a $100 gift cards, two winners. You guys just have to tag what you guys would like for Christmas on our site and why. And we will pick the most creative answers. And um, yeah, so we're, we're looking forward to going more giveaways. Uh, we got to get, we have to have some fun with it. And that's, I think that's what the fans want. So yeah, we're, yeah. Here, we're, we're here to give it to them. And again, for all of these, whether it be the gift guide, whether it be the 12 days of tennis deals, you can find them all on the website, tennis-point.com. A shout out to the entire Tennis Point team for, again, bringing the festive spirit here. And of course, it's the end of the season, which gives us time to reflect, look back at some of the you know big picture takeaways. But one thing we had yet to do here at Crack Rackets, and I wanted to use today's podcast as an excuse to do so. I texted you beforehand. You said, Gruskin, you know I'm always down. That is, of course, uh, discuss Davis Cup and World Team Tennis. But before we do that nate dog you've been holding out on me the new podcast has been released it's out there guys pure tennis podcast i appreciate that um you shouting us out um you'll be a guest on there hopefully <laughs> and we, we we launched it about three months ago but uh we just got to spotify now so it's episode three now on there go ahead and check us out we'll be having some guests on in the near future um doing some, some 2021 recap uh talking about gear talking about equipment talking about the players talking about the junior tennis talking about training talking about um practice everything we want to touch on the whole thing um and yeah we can't wait to, to kind of partner up with you guys on that as well and bring you guys on and um yeah we're excited to launch it is it's something that i've always wanted to do and i'm happy to to kind of use what we kind of have we have a bunch of talents in tennis point a lot of guys a lot of know, know a lot of things um different perspectives that i really want to get out there and let them speak and tell their tell their story and tell their opinions and stuff to the, to the tennis fan and tennis world. So yeah, more tennis content for the tennis community. I hopefully you guys will, are be able to, will be able to indulge yourself with it, but I know Crack Rackets puts out a new podcast every couple hours. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot to listen to, but there's, yeah. there's, there's an audience for it. Hopefully. Oh, well, look, I mean, you know, every so often there's, there is a third hour of the day or a fifth hour <laughs> of the day. And so, you know, once you're done with the Cracked Rackets pools, uh, yeah, head on over. No, I, I mean, you know what sounds even better? You know, a lot of people have two devices now. One can be yeah. played on the phone. One can be played on the computer. It's constantly going. You are used to hearing your and my voice together. Now it's really yeah. going to be together uh, if exactly. you do that. Yeah, no, and I know, again, you, you sort of referenced it there, but just for our listeners, you guys are going to be covering, you know, the weekly grind. What, what aspects, mm-hmm. are you, what are you going to be covering on the pod? So I want to, um, one thing I wanted to do is I want to dive into the junior circuit and and I want to start talking to some of these young guys. I mean, I thought like, I coach tennis still. I, I mean, I don't coach as much as I used to, but I'm still putting in probably seven to 10 hours on the court a week. And I hear a lot of interesting things from these kids. They have big opinions. They're not afraid to kind of let it out there and speak how they feel and what, how things look, how they, um, what they kind of look at the tour at and what they see and kind of habits that they take and training equipment that they use and recovery that they are implementing. Um, I just think that the, the technology advancements in those, in this world have changed the game um, all the way down to the junior level. I know they've changed a lot of things for the pro level. That's why you're seeing guys play late into their 30s. But I want to put put the mic on some of these younger guys that are not afraid of the mic and they're comfortable on there. And I've seen that there's a, a good amount of them on out there. So that's one perspective I'm looking to kind of get out there a little bit more. I also want to utilize um, a lot of our in-house talents. These guys are gear and um, equipment experts. I mean, I don't put myself in that category. I try to learn as much as I can. 
but these guys, they live it and they, they breathe it. They do it every day, all day. Uh, they can fit people with the right equipment by just giving their experiences and what they're, what they've preferred in the, in the, um, in the past and how like their hand fits with certain rackets and how their feet fit in certain shoes. So I want to get all that out there. So hopefully we can kind of cater to a larger audience and you don't have to wait for a customer rep to kind of respond to your question via email or phone call, but um, hopefully on the podcast, we can answer a, a, a large portion of the questions out there. Yeah, no, we look forward to hearing it. And again, one more time, give me the name, give me where everyone can find it for our listeners. Pure Tennis Podcast is the name of the podcast. It is going to be on Spotify and Stitcher. Uh, I believe it might be on SoundCloud as well, but those are the two major platforms. And um, we'll, we'll go into the tour life as well um, a little bit, as that's obviously we're the official racket retailer of the ATP Tour. So that's been super cool to be a part of that this year. This year. And um, yeah, we'll also be having some cracked rackets experts come in and tell us tell us their story but no we want to do it all we want to be an inclusive group and uh just grow team yellow as much as we can awesome well we look forward to hearing it and of course again go smash that subscribe button with all of that said let's get into our tennis topics here today and i do want to talk again davis cup world team tennis which were two of the final events here and you know you could throw billy jean king cup in there as well of this 2021 season and you know again before we get into any specific results the thing that frustrates me most about these events nate and i'm curious your opinion as well because i know you're someone who follows the tour day in day out you're someone who's not only enjoying as you just referred to pro action but junior action college action the various levels of tennis are what make it so exciting that said it just feels like this event is rushed. It just feels like an all-team events, whether it be World Team Tennis, again, Davis Cup, Billie Jean King Cup, you just throw it in at the back of the schedule. And I'll say this. They used to do it year-round. You know, they used to make these big weekends out of it where you have the opportunity to qualify, and then at the year-end, you come to, you know, the final site. And I understand the appeal and I understand mm-hmm. why, again, why the idea of putting all Davis Cup together in one week to really highlight the action, to allow tennis fans to focus purely on it. I understand the thinking behind that decision and making it go to one week. That said, mm-hmm. I mean, look, it just felt like, and last year we got spoiled because World Team Tennis was the first thing back in the tennis world. And it was before there was pro action. As such, if you were a fan, that's all there was to watch. And it was really nice to just have pro players competing against one another back on court. And I think we saw World Team Tennis capture an excitement last year that it maybe didn't quite generate this season. All this to say, it's a big picture issue. There are many components to it, but I'll start here. Does the team, I mean, does it feel rushed isn't even the question I want to ask. It's just like, should there be a separate portion of the calendar for team events? And I suppose, would you be willing to sacrifice some individual ones for them? I definitely would. I mean, I'm a huge proponent, as you guys are, obviously, of the college format and the college team atmosphere that it provides. I think the World Team Tennis, the Davis Cup, the Labor Cup, the ATP Cup, all these things kind of feed into that. And if they're rushed, it feels like it takes away from that environment and the marketability of these events. Um, so I would love to see – I mean, I, I'm, I'm probably thinking that the ATP and WTA calendars, it's probably one of the hardest scheduling jobs of any profession because – there are so many events all the way across the globe. It's not like the NFL or NBA where you have like, where if you're in the NFL, you have like one game in London or two games in London a year. Everything else is in the United States on two or three time zones. I mean, the tennis scheduling is insane. And so I'm sure it's no easy task, but I would love to see them give these events the, 
like the market share that they deserve and the promotions that they deserve and let these events breathe a little bit because I'm sure there's some great stories from these events that we're not hearing about because it just kind of gets sloshed together and we move on and the Australian Open's coming up and people are like we've talked about in the last podcast burnt out a little bit. It's a long year, especially with the, the COVID. It's like everything was just kind of slammed together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like you and I both are huge team event people. And we, and we think there's a lot to be taken away from those is it's, it takes out the individualism of tennis, which I think is a grind mentally um, on these athletes. And if we can find a chunk of the calendar for these events to kind of live and hold their own space, I think that grows the game in a way that um, the individual aspect of the game is, it's just not easy to do. It's just like people love team camaraderie. People love that atmosphere, just seeing other teammates root you on and you plan for something bigger than yourself. I think that offers tennis a, a component that really lets it thrive in more of a mainstream type media where like you can follow a team instead of just following one person. And um, I think right now, like with team Russia, what they just did at the Davis cup, that team won because yes, they're loaded and they have four of the top 25 best players in the world. But like that team seems to like each other and want to hang out with each other and spend time together more than any other team right now. Like those guys are always hanging out, always making jokes. And I'm not saying some of these other teams don't do that. Like Italy seems like they're a close knit group as well. And, Croatia as well, but I mean, Team Russia, like since that 2020 Labor Cup or ATP Cup, I believe, those guys have just had a bond that seems inseparable and they all seem to get along really well and they support each other and want, want to see each other do well. And uh, Karatsev was inspired by his what his team did at the ATP Cup, I believe. Mm-hmm. And he seemed to just kind of taken off with that success and hasn't let his level of play drop since. So I do think there it it was a big factor in the success that he had this past season. And I think just him being inspired by the work ethic and um, the mental drive of his teammates has allowed him to kind of believe in himself and it's trickled down through his game. I mean, so it's, I definitely think it it can help these guys in, in their individual play. It seems really foolish to say because, you know, from November to before the Australian open is anyone really paying attention, but I do think the ATP. We need to draw some numbers on that. Well, I would I, love to see. I would love to see the numbers on this. I I completely agree with you, but I do think ATP Cup, where it's positioned in the calendar as the opening event, as kind of the rollout, and it's a slow. You know, again, you're slowly working these players back in, and you know they're not playing seven matches; they're playing five matches in the course of a week, a week and a half, two weeks, and just you know, again, I do think that's a nice way for these players to get repetitions early in the season before the Australian Open. I think it's a nice reintroduction for all of us back into the tennis world. Mm-hmm. I like I don't hate the idea of the first month of the season being all team events. Now the problem is if you do that, are you really just creating a two month? You know, what's the difference between November and January? Are people really gonna start tuning in in November? Well they say, oh, I'll just wait till the Australian Open in February in that case. That would be my one concern. But I just like the excitement that ATP Cup builds, and in particular, you do. We've gotten, you know, Djokovic, Feder, uh, Djokovic, Nadal, mm-hmm. excuse me, and Medvedev, Djokovic, and all these different matchups beforehand that always, you know, seem to be foreshadowing what we're going to see in Australia. And I just feel like there's a lot, you know, that luster. That, that excitement, just it's hard to duplicate at the end of the season, particularly post ATP Tour finals. Like, 
Are you kidding me? We've already crowned yeah. our champions for the year. Now you're saying, but now we're going to crown our team champions. And it just, yeah. you know, again, it's easy to say, well, and it's so early in this experiment. And it's just been so difficult for Davis Cup because right as they're launching this new format, we're hit with a global pandemic. And obviously, that's not something you can plan for. At the same time, A, having it in one location, one site, one city, that's you know having it a home crowd feel where it's not just Spain or Austria or Italy mm-hmm. whomever the home teams are uh, you know getting to experience that home crowd that was part of the atmosphere if you're competing by country you probably want to let as many of these countries as possible endorse and embrace this sport at the same time just trying to spread out like it's been proven the old Davis Cup model was a bit broken because it was getting really hard to get these top players with all of the weeks they're committing throughout the course of the season to commit to this sort of event that said like I do like the the idea of it being a 10-day event I do like the idea of let's crank out Davis Cup right now I just don't think it can be at the end of the season mm-hmm. no I think what you said is, is exactly spot on. Not only is it hard for the players to get this in their schedule and stuff, but it's also hard for fans to follow it uh, week in and week out when you're not even like, you're not sure what like, you're supposed to remember or you're supposed to go back and look up what happened five months ago. So they, I think they do need to figure it out because it's worth figuring it out. And I think it, it does provide a, a, a big value lift in how we promote this sport. And like, I, I just, I'm a strong believer. And when I go to college matches, I want that atmosphere at the highest level of tennis. And I think I would like to see what the ATP players said themselves and the WTA players as well. But I would like to think that they're going to, they're going to agree at least a majority of them, because I think it just, it just does something else when you're playing for your country and you're playing for your teammates and you guys get to share coaching tidbits. Like what's cooler than watching these guys help coach each other in a match. Like, and you get them mic'd up and you get to hear them talk about adjustments in a match and you get to hear them like, Hey, this guy's doing it. Like, when we got to hear Rafa and Roger and those guys coach up other players at the uh, Labor Cup, I mean, that's like the best content as a fan you can get. I mean, in my, in my opinion, I mean, listening to those guys self-analyze each other, I mean, that is just like what I live for as, as a tennis fan. So if we can get more of that and like it can actually be a spotlight in the calendar where it's like not just thrown together and rushed, but like it actually stands out in the calendar as like a, a high level event that tennis puts puts the funds behind and the promotion behind and we get the media hype behind it all. I really do think that this is a, an aspect of tennis that can really help grow the game, and that's what we're all about. Yeah, and again, I thought the tennis we saw itself was actually pretty good. Like, And we were, you know, a lot of this Davis Cup was going on while we were hosting our Level 1 national event, and we had Tennis Channel on at the tournament desk, and so I was able to watch a bunch of it, whether it was, you know, the early upsets from Sasha Bublik and him doing his Medvedev impression with the crowd and... You know, again, he's a primetime performer, and yeah, it was indoor hard courts, but just, again, for Sasha Bublik, a guy who isn't always engaged from start to finish in a match, I think it's safe to say if you've watched him play, this team aspect, the accountability that comes with teammates, forces him to be engaged, brings mm-hmm. out his best tennis, and, yep. you know, again, he was spectacular, and, you know, when Djokovic comes out, and, you know, he's down, you know, or Borna Goyo, who, for Croatia, just win after win after win, who'd he beat? He beat Sinego, he beat Dusan Lajevic, I'm missing one win in there as well, and just... He racked him up. Like, again, uh, yep. that's nope. the sort of special performance you get in the team environment where these guys are just propelled forward. And, you he know, again, with Rublev. Yeah. He took Rublev to three. I mean, yeah. that guy, I mean, I think that's exactly what we're talking about. It's like that guy, what, is like 230 in the world? Yeah, and exactly. Just like, 
and he and he feels and plays like he belongs with top ten players in the world when you put him in that environment. So that's and I don't know how Medvedev and these guys had the juice to to keep going at this at the end of this crazy long year to even have some some uh, fumes left to burn at, at the ATP finals and then go straight into this. That's just remarkable, and that's why I think being a professional tennis player at that level, it may be the hardest sport to make it in and sustain. I mean, I, I know it might, might sound a little biased, but I do pay attention to a bunch of these other sports, like in, in like basketball being the main one. And I mean, those guys have two to three months of off-season time, even if you go to the, the NBA finals. These guys honestly get maybe a month. And you might not even get a month with traveling and stuff and getting back for the holidays and then going into quarantine. I mean, I heard, like, I heard Kozlov say in your episode yesterday, like, he's already heading out December 27th. He just won a challenger to qualify for Australian Open less than a month ago. Yeah, like so, November 16th or something. Exactly. So it is insane what these guys put their bodies through, the traveling schedules. I hope that they're able to enjoy it because I don't want to see these top athletes get burned out. And I know it's – I mean, it's a high percentage of them that, that do kind of go through phases like that. And that's why you have guys like Bublik and Pear um, and Bernard Tomic and stuff who, like, they're super talented, but the grind is just – it's relentless. No, it's a lot to handle, and it was so fascinating to see guys like Yannick Sinner come play this event, and you know Denis Shapovalov came and played this event. The American team you had by, and Tiafo didn't know he was playing the event till two days in advance, and then he flies out there, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm in. It's Davis Cup, of course I'm in." And just you know, again, looking long term for this Davis Cup, I do think Russia's got pretty nice squad on their hands two top 10 players in Medvedev and Rublev as the foundation of course let's say one of them sits out you've got Hachinov in the queue you've got a very much informed Aslan Karatsev right now in the queue and you know Russia I think swept the doubles at the Olympics this year and it's so fun to see the doubles rubber matter as much as it does Mm -hmm. you know I, I am a fan of doubles throughout the course of the season. That's something we will be monitoring and more so of cra- at Cracked Rackets in 2022 or do a better job of, I should say. It's on my list of things I want to do better. But I like, like how about the doubles rubber in Germany, yep. Great Britain? How about the doubles rubber in Russia, Germany? Or the doubles rubber, Croatia, Serbia, where the number one team in the freaking world is deciding, you know, knocks out Novak Djokovic on a doubles court as the deciding rubber and just... It was it was delightful. It really was. And, you know, again, all of these guys had bought into the team. And, you know, again, you look up and down at some of these teams that there was a ton of talent across the board. And, you know, in that Columbia-USA match in the round-robin play, and I think that's a match that uh, ultimately, you know, uh, Columbia ends up knocking us off in doubles rubber. Um, yeah, like— Cabal and Farah are number one in the yeah. world, and they showed it, and they beat, you know, two American, you know, I think who they beat. Oh, they beat Sock and, not Tiafo, Sock and Opelka, I believe was yep. the doubles duo that they beat, and it's just like, it was awesome tennis. It was really, really fun. We were watching that deciding rubber, and just like, again, a nice crowd. It just, it felt like it mattered. The crowd was engaged. It was sudden death in a way that sometimes individual events are not. Are, are not. And so when you look at this product, I think if you're actually watching the tennis, the engagement level from these players, the quality is very, very high. Mm-hmm. It's the placement on the schedule, the marketing of the event. I just – it it needs to be – I mean you hate to say it needs to be better because it's like all right, if Davis Cup calls me tomorrow and they say, all right, Alex, you schedule it. Where would you go? 
Like mm-hmm. you'd say, well, what about the first weeks of Australia? They'd say, well, nope, ATP Cup's first weeks of Australia. You can't do that. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, what about that lull in between Australia and the start of all the hard court stuff? And it's like, well, no, we used to do that in a rotating weekend, but good luck getting 10 days from all of these guys in that stretch. They're off to Rotterdam. Mm-hmm. They're off to, you know, all the indoor France stuff, or they're off to the South America, Delray, and all these different things. And it's just, unless the ATP, the WTA come together and say and obviously there are reports of them continuing to pursue things like this this offseason and say hey between the French Open and Wimbledon we're going to make it 6 weeks and the first you know week off second week we're doing Davis Cup we're doing Fed Cup we're throwing them both in we are committed to this mid-season team event let's give everyone 3 weeks off and then you can push into November justifiably because it's like there was this three-week cushion where, yeah, you had the Davis Cup commitment, you had the Fed Cup commitment, but that was it. Or, you know, if you're not playing that, you go play world team tennis in that three-week time. You give them three weeks in the season there. You can throw in things like Labor Cup at that point of the schedule as well. The problem is we already push into November. And if you're saying, okay, give me a three-week block, now we push into mm-hmm. December. And again, what you're asking the HPWTA to do is to say we are sacrificing three weeks' worth of tournament licenses. And we are taking three weeks off our tournament schedule, three weeks of revenue. And we're saying these three weeks, they no longer exist. Now, could you continue to have challenger events, ITF events? Why not? But for the ATP and WTA tours, mid-season, height of excitement, we're shutting three things down for three weeks. Yeah. That will just never happen. Not ever. Yeah, no. And so that's the catch-22 is it's just like unless – I don't think you can solve the Davis Cup conundrum unless you solve the grander scheduling problem. And to me, I guess that's what it comes down to is Davis Cup is a byproduct and the scheduling issue is a byproduct of the larger issues in tennis. I'm curious your thoughts on that. No, I don't think – like you said, I don't think we could just take the schedule and just throw it in the calendar without moving a bunch of things around, which makes it so hard. So, I mean, it's going to be have to be something that the, uh, the ATP Council goes in and totally revamps the schedule from probably from January all the way to December. And I do think it's necessary that there is a 30-day period where if you're a top 50 guy, like, you have an entire month guaranteed off. Um, but, yeah, I mean, obviously, that's, that's the thing. Like you said, Catch-22 is, like, where can we slide this into the calendar without causing too much trouble with some of these other big events that create a lot of uh, value for, for the tour? But that's something that tennis really needs to figure out. I really strongly believe that because, I mean, it produces high-level tennis even at the back end of a calendar year where guys are, I mean, we would think pretty tired. Um, Doubles, I was looking at the rankings and singles. I pretty much saw, I would say, just by a quick glance, 20 out of the top 25 players play in doubles matches this season, which seems to be an uptick in in years past. So I do think the tour – and it just shows like guys do enjoy doubles. I think they're seeing benefits in their singles games as they just take, like it just allows you to work on different things. Like your serve and volley game or your serve plus one. And um, mm-hmm. obviously the net game gets sharpened up. And I mean, I think Rublev is, is a big prime example of that. Like he was a guy that wasn't very comfortable coming forward. He's put himself in a lot of doubles um, like with Hachinov and Karatsev and all these team events. And he seems in labor cup, I think doubles has been a big part of the reason why he's been able to make that jump and be a consistent top five to seven player over the past year and a half. So I, I'm curious with doubles going forward in these team events, do you think that we'll see a continued um, kind of participation from, from the top players in the world? I mean, that is always the question, right? And 
you know, again, if they did, would the prize money increase for doubles players? Would the, you know, broader prize money, would there be a commitment? And the answer is no, because the money's too good in the singles. So why would you mm-hmm. spend the extra time playing the doubles if you can be one of the top singles players in the world? You no longer need to feel mm-hmm. any sort of burden to play doubles. Now, I agree with you. I think there are inherent benefits. And I think you look at all the college guys who are now having success in the doubles arena, and you would say, yeah, the... Uh, opportunity is there for them because of how much time they spent on the court and you know i do like these team events because whether it's this whether it's the three sets of doubles you play in world team tennis the doubles matters and Mm -hmm. it's part of the broader team score and i do love that aspect of it and i you're it's such a tough question this might be the pod mm-hmm. uh, this is like a two weeks from now let's both do the research and have this discussion yeah, podcast yeah because, we will we'll, we'll come with our notes ready yeah exactly because that's a, a broader picture but again when you look at the davis cup uh you know or excuse me i think we kind of hit that russia they're well positioned for success i love russia, croatia yeah. and i just love like again they've had a lot of success so you look davis cup champions uh, over the past decade or just, you know, over the past five years even. And I'm thinking back to, I'm pretty sure Croatia and Cilic knocked off, I want to say Argentina back in like 2017, 2018. Let's see. Uh, no, Argentina beat Croatia, excuse me, 2016. But just since 2016, Croatia made final 2016. They lose to Argentina. They win it in 2018. I believe in 2019 they lost in the semifinals. 2021 they come in the semifinals here as well. And that's just a testament to the balance of that roster. It hasn't just been Chilich carrying the load. It's been Chilich. It's been it's been everyone. Like, again, it's just – and they they don't have a healthy chorich right now either. Like, shout out to Croatia right. for the sustained Davis Cup success. So what, what does that mean to you, though? With all that success, like if, if someone asked you who are the best – who's producing the most talent in tennis right now? Does, do these Davis Cup results uh, have any influence on who you would tell a, a fan is the best country producing the most talent in, in the game? So junior Davis Cup, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, no to the mm-hmm. professional Davis Cup. You're absolutely right because ready to hear the winners since 2008? Yeah. Spain, Spain, Serbia, Spain, two Czech Republics, shout out to Burdich, Switzerland, huh, Great Britain, yeah. huh, Argentina, mm-hmm. huh. Like, you look at how many finals France has had over the years. Yeah, they've produced – there's a depth to the quality of the player they produced in particular, you know, 2015 20, – 2005 to 2015. They had a really good group of guys, Sanga, Simone, uh, Gasquet, and uh, missing – and Monfils. But, yep. like, no, because if you do have the Murray, the Federer, the Delpo, the Nadal, the Djokovic, obviously, you can just rip your way to the final. And so I don't think Davis Cup success is indicative of depth. I do think it's indicative of top-end talent. But if the mm-hmm. question is, does a Davis Cup champion, a Fed Cup champion, reflect the quality of development in a country? Yeah. Only to a certain extent, I suppose. Like, only at the top. Right, that's, that's fair. No, I think that's the thing is, like, it's not like – I would love to make the Davis Cup an event that – Maybe it has to. We have to run it to one or two more matches deeper, so we do get a better feel for who has the depth. Because I mean, we already know who has the top end talent when you look at a, the ranking sheet. So I would like to see like um, the Junior Davis Cup, like you said, though that's that is a, a more truer uh, kind of reflection of where the talent lies in in the kind of who's coming up next. Yeah. So no, Davis Cup is a bunch of fun though. I would just love, like we said in the beginning, to see it be highlighted on the calendar as like a main course event not just an appetizer but like make it a thing that the tennis world can kind of get behind blow up the media like 
like the next gen finals and ATP finals, that type of marketability and promotion money, put that behind these team events as well. And I do think you'll see players take it more seriously. I, I hope the fans, the fans would be more tuned into it. And like, we need to get more interaction with, with these guys. Like what, like what makes them want to play together so bad? What are they doing off the, like just the practice stuff. We, we need to hear more of the banter as curious always calls it the more banter, the better. And that's, I know Kyrgios is a big proponent of it. He seems to show up for the JKB Cup events, and that seems to get him going and kind of build him some momentum, especially early in the year. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to 2022 already, and ATP Cup is something that I've, I've really enjoyed. Yeah, and, you know, I think this, you know, gets back to as well and ties into world team tennis, which I thought was so fun in 2020 and I really just I think they nailed it at the Greenbrier and it helped again to have nothing to compete with on the tennis calendar but that was a really fun three weeks of play and you look you know this year uh, obviously it was only a five team event they did it all at Indian Wells trying to capture some of that ethos that idea of let's put all these people in one location and have them battle it out for a little bit the problem was again can like unless you are a hardcore follower unless you are seeking out world team tennis yeah it was on tennis channel but it was mixed in with davis cup and it just wasn't mm-hmm. you know it it just felt like it didn't break through the tennis ethos the way it did last season and you know, there are some really good players playing across the board. Some former college greats as well. People like Marcos Garon and, you know, Stevie Johnson both in the field. You have, you know, Chris Eubanks playing and Austin Krejcik. And, you know, obviously, you know, I could point to countless others as well. Will Blumberg's in the field this year. Mackie McDonald's in the field this year. Nick Monroe, Alexa Guaracci, Sabrina uh, Santa Maria, And just like, to me... The way you continue to market world team tennis, you talk about the tie-in. I say the top five men's and women's players in college tennis at the end of the year, you're, you get the automatic spot. You're playing world team tennis the next season. I like that. It's just I like college that. tennis as a feeder into world team tennis. Give some sort of pro circuit option. Create that sort of interest, A, inherently in college tennis. B, college tennis fans now become inherently more interested in world team tennis as well. There are just there are little synergies that are unexplored that it just feels like in particular that could help ex- expand these team sports, which I just like making tennis a team sport. I, again, I've, I think I've said this on the podcast before. I've had coaches come up to me and say, it's time to blow up the tours and forget them. We need to make a team tennis model the model for professional tennis. There needs to be free agency. There needs to be trades. You need to just, again, create this inherent long-term connection where it's not with individuals, but it's with these franchises. And, again, you create this identity for the league. And it's not, like, absurd. Like, it is absurd, but it's not completely absurd. I understand the sentiment because, A, tennis Mm -hmm. doesn't have an offseason. We don't have that component to the sport. And it's just a wonder, would people become inherently more interested if there was? Was that idea off the cuff on the uh, top five players coming in as a world team tennis qualifier? That was off. That happened. That's a forty-five that's seconds a, ago. <laughs> no, I, that idea might get some legs. We might have to start a hashtag yeah. for that because I do, I do think if we can find a way to make because I do think there's a, a niche audience for college tennis that they're very loyal to these teams or to these players, and if we can kind of keep them along for the ride and let them kind of appreciate these players at the next level in some capacity, like world team tennis, I think there's a big um, benefit to that and i mean we're just putting a ton of pressure on these players to basically not only perform at a high level but to also brand themselves and make them very marketable so that brands will pay them money off the court and it's just it's just asking a lot you can't have roger Roger federers are never going to come by again 
I mean, even even like guys like Nadal who don't particularly love the media and really thrive in the spotlight off the court, it's just you're not gonna. It's 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 a lot. It's hard. I mean, we don't as a tennis as tennis players we've seen ourselves like not a lot of these guys understand it or have any interest in doing it themselves. So if you give them a team backing and let them kind of live on um, and build their brand and build their kind of marketability and um, throughout through a team and kind of not just have that pressure all on their own back, I do think it'll help them grow off the court as well, be more marketable, sign more partnerships, sign more sponsorships, get on commercials, and it'll help put these guys in front of a larger audience as, as we've all kind of wanted to see happen as um, the big three have dominated the market for so long. I think people have thought that tennis was really thriving um, and, and as a global sport, but I, I think it's it's not easy. And we're like guys that are like curious who are not even in the top 70 are, are still making the same amount of money as guys that are ranked 40th and 30th because they've just figured out the other aspect of tennis, which is off the off the court stuff. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. With all that said, you like the World Team Tennis format, total games, five sets, you add it up. I like that. You know, I had a conversation that listeners will be able to hear on the Cracked Interviews podcast in a couple of weeks with Brad Dancer of Illinois, who was like, yeah, we once experimented with that and played just in every day, every game counts so that there is no lull for fans, so that everything matters. And I was like, huh. In a team environment, like again, if college tennis adopted the instead of set scores it's hey total games at the end of the match that's what decides the winner i'm not unintrigued no i'm not um i was more intrigued by the whole free agency concept that you said you talked about earlier yeah. just to see i would love to see guys like like Le, like who's going to be the lebron james and put together their own team and try to stack their team against the rest type thing djokovic I, the answer yeah. is djokovic i can tell I, you right now does he, does he? Do you feel like he is in a good standing with the majority of the tour as far as guys look PTPA up to him? PTPA leader. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say yeah. so there's definitely a joke. I mean, like the fans any, feel one way and the players feel another way about. Well, like guy. any group, there are inherent political blocks and contingents, mm-hmm. and you know, in tennis, I think the problem is there's many pluralities, but never a majority in anything for any sort of mm-hmm. change. We've really gone full circle here, uh, big picture. Yep. Um, but I, I do think that would be again like. We have traded Denis Shapovalov and two and two ITF top 100 junior picks for one year of Diego Schwartzman because we have a championship team ready right now. I'd be like, "Is that a good trade?" I'd be like, "Huh, maybe." That would be that's the content that we would be living on for days. I mean, just the ability to trade, pick up free agents, have co- sign different coaches. Like you see, one player wants this coach, another player wants this coach. They end up going with this guy have different GMs coming. That would all be something that would... It's be, an added layer. The question is, it, traditional tennis fans don't want that. They don't want franchises. They don't want... Because that's what World Team Tennis aspires to be, obviously. Mm-hmm. The problem mm-hmm. is, if you want that to truly play out, you can't give them 10 days thrown at the back of a calendar. That would have mm-hmm. to be a six-month... If not six-month, it would have to be a multiple-month commitment. And just, yep. there's no space. And so we don't even get to experiment. Yeah, it's a bummer because I like to the current format of tennis. It's just very tough. I mean, we're counting on the next person every time. We're always waiting for the like the next person, the next Raducanu, the next Carlos Alcaraz, and sometimes these guys like it puts a ton of pressure on that individual, and oftentimes they aren't able to live up to their expectations at a young age throughout their career, and so to put that pressure on a team or on and like let them develop through a team and kind of like what Karatsev went through, like. I mean, he didn't have any pressure, and he was able to kind of manifest his powers and his 
his skill set through that team camaraderie, through that training together in that team atmosphere that a lot of people thrive in. So the more we can do that and not always have to look for what's next, is it going to be center? Is he going to win five grand slams or is Alcaraz going to be the next Rafa? It's like that constant trying to build that storyline and try to hype these guys up from 18 years old all the way through and then call them a bust when they're Grigor Dimitrov and they're unable to break through and win a slam. It's just, it's a lot. And it's just, I don't know. I don't think it's going to do us any good with these athletes and growing the game. And a guy like Grigor Dimitrov, who's had a very respectable career, maybe he hasn't had the breakthroughs that we all once thought he was going to have at a young age with how beautiful his game is. But I mean, the dude's a hell of a player. He's a hell of a talent. He's a great ambassador for the game. He's a class tact. And I feel like he's not appreciated as much as he would be if, if we were able to kind of let him live in a space that wasn't so based on his individual success. Yeah. So with all of that said, a fun one for you here. I don't know if you read Bill Simmons. He used to do a trade value column. Who's number one trade value right now on the men's side? Would it be Joe? Like if you're starting your franchise, do you pick Djokovic first? Or like, honest to God, if we're doing it, Djokovic. How long is, con- how long is the con? Is it just a yearly contract? Well, you're starting your franchise. It's I'm starting your franchise. Yeah. Well, that's different then. Yeah. Um, number one trade. Ooh. Do you take Djokovic or is it Sinner or Alcaraz? Because those are probably the three you pick. Maybe you throw Medvedev, but, like, would you rather have the next 15 years of Alcaraz or the next 10 of Medvedev? Give me the next 15 of Alcaraz. It's tough. I'm just saying these are the conversations we get to have, by the way, that you can still sort of have, but it's not quite as fun. No, it's not as fun. And I and I think that's like that's the type of stuff that I would live for. I mean, just having that type of debate and seeing what these guys actually decide on doing and seeing the actual real rivalries kind of live out through that through that world would be a lot of fun to see. Um, but no, that's a great question. And I think Alcaraz would be hard for me to bet against, but Sinner is not far behind. But I listened to uh, you in um, Tennis Abstract. Uh, what Jeff was his, Sackman. His Jeff Sackman. He was, his analysis was, was pretty cool. Listen, like, listen to him, like, how much better can Sinner realistically get? Like, from where he is right now, like, how much more potential does he have to kind of reach and like how much more upside is in his game right now? Cause he's, I mean, hits the crap out of the ball. He's moving well. And it, it was, it was interesting. Cause like, we just keep thinking these guys are, are young and they're just going to keep reaching the new heights. But um, like Jeff was saying, I mean, that guy's the stats guru of, of tennis and he, he has all the stats to back him. And like a lot of these guys, that's kind of like they're some of these guys peak. Like he was saying like Monica Sellis and Jennifer Capriati, once they get like some people peak at 14, 15, 16 years old, so it, it's interesting to watch those guys' careers play out. And I think that's a, a fair question. But, I mean, Novak is, for the next three or four years, probably your safe bet. But if you want 15 years of one steady talent, it's hard to bet, it's hard to bet against Carlos. I know. It's, it's fun. Again, these are conversations we could be having. We're not currently. We'll find a way. This is why we wanted to have this conversation. Again, any of you listeners with any opinions, you know where to find us, at Great Shot Pod, yep. at Nate Walrith. With that said, Nate Dog. Where can we find you? What do you got coming up? What should the listeners be aware of? So, yeah, check us out on Instagram at tennis underscore point underscore US. Check us out on TikTok, tennis underscore point. Facebook is the same as Instagram. Um, yeah, on, on uh, our website, tennis dash point.com. You guys, like Ruskin, was uh, so nice to plug this tennis <laughs> or the Pure Tennis podcast. That is out and running. Uh, we're excited about that, like we talked about. And, uh, we'll be talking about more of these these fun events and how we can help grow this game here soon, hopefully. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it is always a pleasure to have you, Nate. And next week, my commitment to you, we're actually going to do this on a Tuesday. 
We're going to get back on schedule. And so, uh, again, I always appreciate the chance to chat with you. Always appreciate the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. You go to tennis-point.com right now. Use that promo code CR15 to get 15% off your order free. Two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, that free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Of course, a shout-out as always to our super producer, Danny Westhoff, for the f*** of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible with all of that said, for our fantastic guests, Nate Walrath, our super producers, Fligner and Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Nate, what do we tell the people? That's the break. And Happy we'll Wednesday, y'all. Westoff, shout out to Westoff, my man. Yeah. Had a good conversation with him today. He, he really is the GOAT. I mean, he's best, underrated. Best in he, the business. His, his free agent market is, is constantly on the rise. Oh, without question. He is the 12 gift guide. of. He is my 12 gifts each and every day of this holiday season. Uh, But with all that said, we'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, guys. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com.